Now we've been talking about the wonder of Christmas, and you see there's two trees um, by me. This one's a little too far. I've got issues. There you go. And um, what is so interesting about the wonder of Christmas, last week we started and said if we think about Christmas that happens every 12 months, it's very simple to lose the wonder. It's like being married for a long time. If you do not keep the marriage, the wonder of marriage alive, inevitable after you get your kids out of bed, into the bus, and you've cleaned the house, and you don't spend time living the wonder of life and the wonder of marriage, before you know it, you go on a date night and you have nothing to say to each other. Ever been there? Just nothing to say. All you do is talk about the kids and talk about your debt and talk about everything else. And you love each other, but you've lost the wonder. And last week we talked about how do we regain the wonder of Christmas. Now we started off by saying, if you ever write a book, and I believe there are many of you that are incredible writers and don't sit on God's gift. But you know if you open a book, well, let me speak personally. If I open a book, I love reading. If you cannot capture me in the first chapter, then I always go like, you cheated me. Because I buy books for pictures on the outside. Come on, how many of you know that? The, the title, The Better You. And then this incredible picture, I go like, oh, I want to be a better me. Just look at the picture, right? And, and but, but, but when you start to read, if the first chapter is just blah, then I don't want to read any further. Because the first chapter has got to somehow have so much honey around it that the moment I stick my tongue to it, I want to keep leaking for 12 chapters in the book. Now, Matthew was going to start the story that's been coming for 4,000 years. Not 400 days, 4,000 years. The coming of a Messiah. He is the one that is opening up the New Testament and is going to tell us of the wondrous story of Jesus, God's only son. And when we look at how Matthew starts, we'll be confused by it. There are 25 verses. I'm going to read you five. Turn to your neighbor and say, I swear if you sleep, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to wake you up. Because as I read this, I go like, Matthew, you should have done some online classes on writing. Because Matthew was a very, very smart human being. Mary, Matthew was not a fisherman. He should have gotten the fact that if you translate a story, start with something that people go like, oh, I've got to read everything. This is how he starts. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abram was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zeron, and by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Gaia cannot pronounce, and that Gaia cannot pronounce had a son that I cannot pronounce. And that son's name was Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. I would go like, Matthew, if you attended my class, don't put in prostitutes in the story too early because people will be bothered. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. I've only read five chapters. There's 20 more to come. 
And I bet you if I keep reading, I'm going to lose 90% of you and 100% online. People online go like, I'm going to get coffee. Call me when he's done with 25 chapters. The question is, Matthew, why are you telling us your first 200 and 308 words are boring names that we cannot pronounce? You are missing the point. Or is the very wonder of Christmas to understand what we have just read is the, pro the, the probability of what we read over 4,000 years is zero. Have you ever been in a conversation where there are so many God, mm, what is the word I'm looking for? coincidences that you look at somebody and say, you know, nobody can make this up. Right? Where you know you've got to acknowledge that God is in the story. Now, I want you to know that the story started all in the beginning in the garden. God the Father made angels, but then he created humans in his image and likeness. I said to you last week, that's why you can never, ever, 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 ever make a point if I am in the room that man dies and dissolve into nothing. Because man is the only being that carries the breath of God and you cannot extinguish the breath of God ever. It's not possible. So if you say, well, if I die, I'm just going to be with the worms. No, your taxi is going to be with the worms. But you carry the eternal breath of God that cannot be snuffed out. But before Adam and Eve was made, we find in Scripture that there was an angel called Lucifer, son of morning. You write about him, he says, oh, Lucifer, son of morning, perfect in beauty, awesome in wonder. Oh, you can preach so much on him. But the Bible says that pride climbed into Lucifer's heart. And somehow he decided, I no longer want to be beautiful and admired. I want to be God. And he said, I will ascend above the clouds. I will set my throne above the throne of God. I will be like the most high God. And he poisoned and convinced a third of the angels to take that route. Then God made you and I image bearers of God. And he had his sights to corrupt the crown jewel of God's creation. The Bible says he came to Eve. He goes like, hey, yo, Evie, did God really say you cannot eat of all these trees? He says, God knows if you eat the fruit of this tree, you will be just like God. It's exactly what he sold to the other angels. And you know what the worst part is? Never underestimate the poisonous power of deception. Never. Because the first outbreak when you are deceived is self-deception. And there's nothing as powerful as self-deception. And the Bible says when that happened, God looked at Adam and Eve and there's such beauty in the story. And God spoke to them about what is going to happen now that they have chosen the path of being like God. Then he said to Satan, 
You think you have conquered, you have won. He says in Genesis 3 verse 15, I will put enmity, which means you will have an eternal battle between the seed of the woman and between your empire of demonic rebellious angels that have been kicked out. He says, from the seed of this woman will come someone who will crush your head one day. But you, you will bite him on the hill. In other words, what he says, one day there will be a wounded victor that was going to come. And through his wounds, the victory is going to come. And that's Jesus on the cross, but he didn't know. So in that moment, Satan is very determined that he's got to follow the seed of the woman because he's not about to accept his defeat and he's not about to let any child be born that's going to crush his head. So you go like, oh, that's beautiful, but why did I come to church? Because, you know, that sounds like a Bible history lesson. I'm going to help you understand. This tree represents 4,000 years to Jesus. Because from the root of this tree will come a branch that will produce the victor that's going to crush Satan. But this, represent, this tree represents your and my life. This is my family tree. This is God's tree of victory. So, what is this? This is? No, don't say my family tree. It's your family tree. Say my family tree. And what is this? God's tree. Come on, what is this? What is that? What is that? What is this? I want you to look at the parallel between the two. Because you see, in that moment, you say, how can you just make stuff up and get this fake tree and call it my family tree, and now you're going to pre preach this 40 names into this tree. By the way, I had a real one, and then I realized some of you um, love trees so much, if I cut a real healthy tree down, you're going to not be happy with me. And then I got these fake trees, and somehow not even scissors could cut through this in the first service. <laughs> so I want you to know you really spoiled it for the first service. But I'm ready. I don't have it. I've got side cutters, baby. I've got side cutters. You say, but Pastor Pierre, why is my family tree part of this conversation? You see, the reason why your family tree is part of the conversation, because God found Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Look at the stars, all the stars of the earth. Look at the sand. I'm going to make your descendants like the stars of the sky and all the sand. Then he says this, and I will bless you and through you and your descendants, every nation of the earth will be blessed. And the question is, what does blessing mean? God said to the original Adam and Eve, I'm blessing you. I want you to cultivate the earth. I want you to guard over the earth. I want you to bring order to the earth. And I want you to restore the beauty of the earth. Now the Bible says this. You go like, well, that's for Abraham. 
I don't have any family. I'm Italian. I don't have no Abraham in my family. Galatians chapter 3 verse 16. Come on, let's read it together. It says, now the promise were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And, and, to, your, and to your offspring, who? Who is Christ. Now, Galatians 3, 7. So, you should know that the true children of Abraham are those who are of? So, if you believe in Jesus and, and have experienced His saving power, and you know He is the truth and the life and the way, and you hold firm faith in Him, can you shout amen? amen. In other words, the Bible says, by faith you're a child of Abraham. And the covenant promise that God made to Abraham and his children are now laid up in the lap of the children of Abraham that are those by faith. So I want you to know as this story starts. Oh, I love this. I've, I've got to read this. I've got to read this. Uh, Ephesians 3.10 says this. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in rich variety to all the unseen rulers, authorities in heavenly places. In other words, God says, the children of Abraham, I will call them the church. The church is not a building. The church are the living stones, you and I. And God says that the church is a household of faith where you are planted in God, where you fellowship with other sons and daughters of God, where you understand your mandate is not just to come and hear, but where you go, you bring the restorative power of God. You are the living, breathing hands and feet of Jesus. You are the ones that God called to subdue and rule over. That is why it's so important to get away from this thought that you're a speck of dust in the cosmic cycle of things and your life doesn't matter to anyone else but to your family. I'm here to tell you, Satan, fear, you understanding God's covenant promise and purpose over your life as much as he feared that out of the root of this woman's life will come someone, a child will be born that will crush his head. So the story starts. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, this is why you're here. That's why are you here? So Adam and Eve had two sons. And Satan is watching carefully because he knows he's got to stop the bloodline. He knows he's got to corrupt the bloodline because if I can kill the branches, nothing can come from the root if I cut it off and I am safe as long as no child is born in the bloodline of the woman. So Abraham... Um, Adam and Eve had two sons. Can you remember their name? Cain and Abel. Thank God. First service people don't read their Bible. Cain. <laughs> Abel and Cain. Satan looked at Cain and Abel. And he realized Abel carries righteousness. He can see in Abel's heart and the fruit of his life that this is potentially where the bloodline is going to flow through. So what did he do? He put hatred in Cain's heart towards Abel. 
You say, why did he do it? The Bible says this, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. In other words, Satan saw, oh, this is the righteous branch. It's, his name's Abel. I cannot let Abel live because from Abel's righteousness, there will come a family tree of righteousness. I've got to get his brother to destroy and kill him so that the branch are destroyed and I no longer have to worry. But God brought another branch called Seth. And God says, I will intervene even if you destroy. But the question is, it was the righteousness of Abel that Satan wanted to kill. So let me talk about you. Who's your Cain? Who's the Cain that's surrounding your life that wants to take your faith and snuff it out? Why are some of you dating Cain? Why are you dating somebody that says, well, I don't believe in anything but science. You sound like Nacho Libre. I believe in science. Why on earth? Because you've got to understand, Satan fears the righteous tree of life. He fears you. He fears your children and their children and their children. And he wants to snuff your righteousness out. That's why I get so irritable when somebody says, I'm losing my faith. I'm asking them always, how much are you fighting back? Or are you going to invite the enemy to kill your faith? And he knows when you are of no faith, chances are that you will create a life that does not reproduce faith, but doubt, unbelief, cynicism. That's why be careful how you talk about church and God and worship on your way home. Here's not the end. Because you see, then there was Noah. Noah became a branch through a branch, the seed of a woman. And the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord at a time where God was sorry that he made man. He says, because every kind of evil has now found its place among the people of the earth. God says, I know what I do. I'm going to destroy the earth, but I'm going to take Noah. Why Noah? He carries the bloodline of the Messiah, the victor king to come. And he takes his sons and his daughters and their husbands and they get in the ark. And God rescued them. And Noah did his part. He was ridiculed. He was misunderstood. When others said, you're insane, Noah held fast. But when Noah was done with his part, of the journey, Satan knew I've got to corrupt because the woman's seed is still alive. So Noah planted a vineyard and he felt that he served the purposes of God well and now he can just drink and be happy. Have some margaritas, Noah. The Bible says that Noah got drunk and there was a trap set for his son. 
that was the righteous branch that would carry the seed to the Messiah. But his other son walked into the tent where Noah was lying drunk and naked. I cannot tell you what nakedness means and what happened there. It's too much for you to understand. But I am not saying that there's incest. But I want you to know that something so disturbing happened that his son started to create a song to mock the righteousness of his father. He sang a song in the Bible says, and Noah was made sterile for a while. In other words, his faith no longer had conviction because somehow the enemy knew if I can just get him to think that what he has done for God is over and now he can just drink and just I've done my part. Can I tell you that for many of you have been in faith and you have journeyed, you have prayed, you've been to church, you have run hard. Could you be at a place potentially where you now think, I don't have to do much. I just don't feel like it. And you don't understand it's the trap of the enemy. It's the trap of the enemy to tell you, you don't have to do anything. You have run well. And right now your children are looking at you. They are seeing you saying, I don't know if it was worth it. I don't feel like God going to church and not realizing, understanding that your faith has been snuffed out because it's become impotent to produce faith and to produce the likeness of Jesus. Do you understand that whatever you do or not do has an outcome to the covenantal promise of God? Whether you are 16 or 80, you are as potent in bringing order and redemption and restoration to the story of God. You hold the bloodline and God is counting on you. Then there is Abraham and Sarah. Satan, look at Abraham and Sarah and says, the only way I can stop the bloodline is I'm going to make her impotent. I'm just going to tie and not her ovaries. That's what I'm going to do. No kids. Tie a knot. Impossible to have children. And then God says, hey, I know you're 100 years old. I'm untying those ovaries. You are going to have children. Abram was very happy. So I'm sure he got busy the first night, second night, third night. First week, second week, third week. First month, fourth month. After a while, there had to be doubt. Because Abraham, you're the only one that's happy in this deal right now. I still have no children. Think about it. He says, well, I know what the will of God is for us to have children. But somehow, I don't see it's happening. So maybe God's waiting for us to make it happen because we know it is his will. So he went to his, her slave woman, Hagar, with her permission. And they conceived a son called Ishmael. Ishmael didn't carry the bloodline because Isaac did. Let me ask you a question. How many of us 
feel trapped and God is saying, yes, you will get somebody that loves me. Yes, you will get through life and I am going to use you. And every day you wake up and nobody is coming. So you, you feel, God, I know what you want, so I'm just going to help you. I'm just going to go on, 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 uh, what is one of the dating sites? What, what, what? Nobody wants to say nothing. I'm just going to go on what? Hinge. I don't know what that is. I'm going to go on hinge and, and just pose right and just put a little bit of everything on me. Because God, you did say. And while you're doing that, the enemy is cutting off. Because you see, they put their faith in what God promised. They stopped promising putting their faith in the God of the promise. They got impatient. And can I tell you, where we mess up is when we think it's in the outcomes that our faith is the loudest. Can I tell you where our faith is the loudest? In the wait, in the wait, in the pause. Because people look around and they go like, if you had faith, you would do this and this. And I'm here to tell you, if God doesn't move us, I ain't moving. I will wait patiently because I am not about to chase Ishmael. And I'm here to tell you, for some of you, your Ishmael's too expensive. And you're going to miss the call of God. But God reserved Isaac. So Isaac found himself a wife. Her name's Rebecca. Beautiful story because first he worked for Leah seven years. When he woke up, Leah was not the pretty one. When he woke up the next morning, I don't know how drunk he got to be married to the ugly one. When he woke up, he was like, wait, you're not her? And he had to work another seven years for the one he loved. But you know what I love? The Bible says because he loved Leah so much, seven years felt like one day. Can I just tell you something, church? When things feel hard in your marriage, when feel, things feel too much to do for God, it's not because it's too much, it's because your love has been dwindling. And if love is fiery, nothing is too hard for the thing you love. And so God opened Rachel's womb because once again the womb was shut. And two boys were born. Jacob and Esau. Esau was the one that was supposed to get the father's blessing, which means the bloodline. But from the womb, Satan put something in the heart of Jacob when his brother wanted to come out the womb first. He grabbed his heel and pulled, pulled him back. You go like, that's impossible. I swear it's anything. I'm not making this up. It is in the Bible. He wanted what his brother was supposed to get. He was determined, I can do it, I can make it. He stole his father's blessing. He cheated his uncle. He was self-promoting. He lied. He, he, he had a horrible um, relationship with his father, a horrible relationship with his brother because he was conniving because he wanted what he wanted and he wanted God to bless it. But you know what God did? God met him because the enemy thought, oh, I had him cut. And God says, not so quickly. Let me wrestle with him all night. And I will wrestle his self-will into a lump. And all of a sudden, he changed his name to Israel. He says, 
But God, I will redeem and wherever you walk with a limp. It will not be a sign of weakness. It will be a sign of surrender. Because I'm here to tell you, for many of you right now, you want what you want, and you will justify it with everything. You will connive. You will tell things almost like that ad, where a guy's got a whole new club, and his wife says, how much did this cost? And he says, they gave it to me. They gave it to me, honey. They just gave it to me. Because you see, you are so self-willed. And I'm here to tell you so often, we are self-willed. And the enemy is putting that in us. Because the Bible says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is meek. Because when you realize good things come to those who wait, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and I want you to know that sometimes you sit with your children and their children and you want to control them and say if you don't change I will take you out of the will I'm here to tell you they don't even care about my tree or your will because they are a breed that's not going to be held and manipulated that's why Job realized that's why the statement is, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord God. I'm going to walk righteous, and I know that my righteousness right now will determine my children and their children and their children and their children and their children. That's why I'm going to be patient in the moment. I'm going to surrender my stubbornness in the moment. I'm going to lay it down that I would not be like Jacob, because I want you to know I want no limb. I say, God, give me a tender heart to listen to your voice. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's almost done. Almost done. So Jacob had 12 sons. But God had his hand on the one whose name was Joseph. So Satan sees that there is another branch coming out. He's cut so many branches and now he fears this branch because this branch sees visions, dreams, dreams. So he says, how am I going to destroy the branch? So we went to the other 11 brothers and said, aren't you sick and tired of this little baby in the family that's getting the pretty coat that doesn't work like you work? You deserve everything. He deserves nothing. And the enemy brought so much poison that his brothers threw him in a, in a bitter, empty well to kill him. To kill him. Why? Because what was in them was the power of the enemy that wants to cut Joseph and the bloodline to the Messiah of the tree. They wanted to do anything. You know what? Joseph could have fought back. Joseph could have killed his brothers. Joseph could have done everything. But Joseph trusted in the Lord. Whether I am in the, in the prison, whether I am in the well, whether I am in danger, my hope is in God Almighty. Others trust in horses and in chariots. Uh, it's unfair what's happening to me. And as, as, as Joseph was staying right he came to Potiphar's house and, and Satan knew that the brother thing's not working. So he went to Potiphar's wife when Potiphar was on vacation. And he go like, hey, hey, hoochie mama. Put on some makeup. Look at that boy. Look at these pics. Nobody will know. Do you really think she came up with that idea? 
I'm here to tell you, I believe she was inspired by an evil plan of the enemy to cut the bloodline of Christ. But Joseph ran away from her and landed in a place that it was unfair. Let me ask you a question. How many of the temptations in your life is just the temptation or how many of it's evil inspired to cut you down? How many of the things in your life that you say, it is unfair, that's why I cannot believe in a God. It is unfair. But even though they want to harm you, God will turn it around for good because he knows your bloodline, your family tree carries the mandate of Abraham. You say, I'm not being treated right. You're right. What are you going to do? Bail? Oh, no, I'm staying here for righteousness. I'm staying here for my children. I'm staying here. That's why I'm so confused when, when people just want to bail on faith because somebody said something. And now they just want out. You don't understand what was said was not meant by them. It was just placed evil inspiration there by them because the enemy wants to snuff out your faith so that your faith can never be transferred to your children and their children and their children. Oh, listen, I can go on and on because there was David. David was a man after God's own heart. And Satan is running out of time right now because he goes like, I've tried everything. I've killed babies in Egypt. I have shut wombs. I've done everything. And now God has found a guy and God constantly say, David is a man after my own heart. Clearly, he carries the bloodline of the Messiah. And the Bible says it was the time where kings went to war where David stayed behind. David was unguarded. David was tired. He didn't do what kings did. He found himself in a vulnerable place. The Bible says, as he was standing outside, let me tell you what I think. I think David was exhausted, tired. And in that moment, he was looking for an escape just to be not a king. Now, last week, I, I called um, the woman, Bersheba, a name, and when I got home, my wife says, you cannot say she was the Huchi mama. You cannot even use that word ever again. How about she was a noble woman? He's the creep. I go like, it's amazing, all the women saying amen right now. I said, okay, 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 okay. But as David was standing there thinking, I'm just going to breathe. Satan says, oh, it's exactly where I want you to be, how I want you to be. Because the snippers are to the root of the tree. Because David brought her in. He slept with her. He killed her husband. And Satan thought, I had him. I can clip him. The bloodline is gone. But then David began to pray, create in me a clean heart, O God. And Satan says, stop, stop. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me the joy of salvation. Satan says, stop it. Because if you repent, things are going to grow again. 
Do not remove your spirit from me. A pure heart and a contrite heart is what you require. And Satan says, would you just stop? Would you just stop? He's not going to forgive you. And God, restore to me the joy of salvation. God, restore to me what was lost. And I'm here to tell you that many of you, like David, has done things in your life that is unthinkable. And you think it is over. And the snip is to the tree. And God, God is saying, if you have sinned, Come boldly to the throne because my redeeming power, it is always about God, about God. When Satan thinks it's over, but God is alive, but God is faithful, but God is awesome, but God is a deliverer, but God can set free, but God, not just because of you, but because of who comes after you. His favor will be upon you for a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. I want you to know, Satan, you will find out the next week we're going to talk about the woman in the story. Because there's not only men in this story. But here you are. And I want you to know there's something that Job did every day. Every morning he would wake up and make an offering for him and his wife and offering for his children. And he would say, God, I'm praying on behalf of my children lest they have sinned. You know what he was doing? He was fighting for the righteousness of his children. Are you fighting for the righteousness of your children? Are you fighting to pray that Christ be formed in them? I can tell you my journey, my wife's journey, we're in a place where we've prayed for them all our lives. And then the outcomes is a certain way, and now they are grown. The outcomes is secure as long as we wake up and say, God, I want to remind you that many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. God says, God, you said, if we train them up in the way they should go, they will not depart. They may run to the pigs. They may be with us swine for a moment but God we calling our sons and daughters back because they carry the blood and the family line of blessing because you and I sitting here does not didn't happen because of our choice it happened because my dad kept praying my grandpa kept praying somebody prayed I'm a product of somebody's faithfulness At the end of the day, how much restoration will be credited to your family tree? How faithful are we going to be? That's why I say, church, I'm done, I'm done. Stop saying stupid things online that breaks, that doesn't restore. Stop saying the things that are true that strips people of courage because you and I find out I don't care what is going on in the world but God I don't care if all the water is flushed out of the house but God 
The tsunami of grace will come again and again and again. And I am overwhelmingly convinced of this. He who began a good work in me and in my children and in their children is faithful. And as for me and my house, and for you and your house, we will serve the Lord. We will see our part to the promise of Abraham that where you and I go, we are a blessing. Where we find ourselves, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. Wherever we find ourselves we can suffer with grace and a hope that beauty will come out of what's in front of us and what's meant to kill us God will turn it into good why because we are leaving a lineage a bloodline of righteousness because you and I our children their children a part of God's redemptive work here on the earth. That's why I say, if you freak out, if you've got to give, you are dismissing that without a generous heart, you will always take and you will never be part of the restorative work of God because it's a generous work that will reward you with a crown of reward in heaven. That is the way it goes. So I want to say today, don't give up on your tree. Even if all the blossoms are off. Even if the branches have been stripped. Even if you look at it and go like, is anything alive? Don't give up on the tree because the roots cannot die. Pray life. Pray hope. And don't let the enemy snip at your family tree because he's afraid of you as he was afraid of the victor that was going to come and destroy and crush his head. Let's pray. Father, oh, how I know the voice of the one who wants to diminish my value and the value of your children that calls us ordinary forgettable ineffective but God you said no eye has seen or ear has heard what I have planned for you no good thing will I withhold over them that walk uprightly. Our children and their children and their children. As the root is holy, so shall the branches be. Oh God, and we're going to contend for the prodigals. We're going to contend for our faith. We're going to contend for our mission. We're not going to get drunk because we think we're too old and the mission is gone. Father, I pray like Caleb that you would put a sword in our hand at 80 and says, before I die, give me the hardest mountain to take. I am going to take one more mountain for you. One more mountain for your kingdom. Father, revive us with a kingdom understanding that as we walk out of this place that we are the very hands, feet, mouth and the very divine power of Christ live in us and we are the story and we are the hope of the world. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, breathe faith in us. 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 Breathe grace into us. God, breathe forgiveness into us. Breathe conviction into us. Breathe righteousness into us. And we declare, he who began a good work will complete it no matter what we see 
around us because our God is able. In Jesus' name, amen.